Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. Okay, well, we've definitely had some updates when it comes to the Toronto mayoral race. So certainly Santiago and I had to hop into the studio. And what we're going to do here, folks, is we are going to run through the so-called top six Toronto mayoral candidates. Give you a little bit of facts. Obviously, a whole lot of opinion. (laughs) You know the deal. There's some key issues we also want to hit upon, but generally we want to get give folks an idea of the choices out there. There there are a lot of them. Obviously, there's no way we can talk about 57 candidates. We may be higher than that at this point, I'm not sure, but that was the last number I saw. We thought we'd start off by talking about what Santiago calls the three stooges. And he's got nicknames, I think, for all of the candidates, don't you? Uh, almost all of them so far. <laughs> None of them are very good. But uh, don't worry, we're not starting off with the best. And I think you guys will will get a feel throughout this episode that we're not really endorsing anyone at all. No. So don't listen to this episode hoping to find out who we're, you know, going to vote for because uh, we don't really roll that way. You know how we feel about electoral politics and you guys can just make your own minds up, really. We're going to start with the, the ex-top cop of Toronto. I think he's one of my least favorite candidates. I was horrified when I heard him announce that he would run just the idea of a cop running the city after seeing what he he did for five years as the police chief here. Not a real serious campaign, though, at this point. I mean, he was very worrisome at the beginning, but now I think other frontrunners have hard, started to show and... You take one look at his campaign and it's really lackluster, to say the least. But I think it's obvious why we wouldn't want Mark Saunders as mayor. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously like the most right wing of the bigger candidates in the race. And I I don't like from the beginning, I don't I didn't think he was going to do good because he has the the problem that conservatives don't actually like him all that much. Um, Well, they he ran for them just last year. Yeah, and he didn't do good. Um, No. But, like, I mean, conservative voters don't like him all that much. Um, They think that he was weak on crime, ironically enough. Um, That's why when you say he's, like, the most right-wing, I was like, I don't know. I think the next one we're talking about, B-squared there, is challenging him for that because he's chirping at him all the time about how he wasn't a tough enough cop. uh, Bradley squared, um, he is right wing in the sense that he's an opportunist, but I don't think he is as authoritarian at heart as Mark Saunders. I mean, Mark Saunders is a cop. It's so hard to sell to me as a police chief of Toronto's the $33 million a day police force. No, exactly. And there's just no absence of horrible things that he's done. And as like his short campaign so far has also been horrible. The whole Naloxone thing, you know, uh, he's, Deeply hateful, deeply unlikable. I don't, I wasn't particularly worried about him. I'm still not particularly worried about him. Um, 
And I think one of the themes that is going to come up a lot today is, for me is going to be, what do these candidates do in the long term if they're not doing well? So it'll be interesting to see, you know, does he stay in the race till the end? Does he drop out and endorse someone? You know, uh, uh, I can't, for me, you know, the most traumatizing political moment for me was when uh, in the Democratic race, when everyone dropped out all at once and endorsed Biden against Bernie. Like, I still have. You can't just bring that up without a trigger warning. No, but like I did say like that for me, it was a deeply traumatic moment. And like, that's what I'm constantly thinking of as we're talking about these people, because, you know, we're going to like spoiler alert. We're going to talk about the fact that. Um, Olivia Chow's in first right now in the polls, but there's I take no comfort in in any of that right now. No, we know better than to trust polls, but your theory holds a lot of water here, Santiago, because one of the points that I wanted to bring up here was both Saunders, well, all your three stooges, so Anna Bailao, Brad Bradford, and Mark Saunders are real progressive conservative insiders. So they... They're, the teams that they've built around them are, you know, again, we're kind of like moving through Brad Bradford, but his chief of staff or one of the top folks on his campaign is Lecce, the education minister's former chief of staff. Anna Bailao, she hired Nick Kuvalis to run her campaign, and that is a real Ford's man. Judging by like their teams, I would not put anything beyond kind of both of them. Brad and Mark dropping out and endorsing Anna because we know how powerful Ford Nation is in this province. Not only that, you've got developers, the real estate, we've got capital lining up. They've got a real vested interest in this race. It surprises me that there are three candidates running somewhat serious campaigns that are all considered on the right, like they must realize that they are dividing their vote there. Not very effectively, though, because neither Mark or Brad have very good poll numbers. In a weird way, though, it's it is a good strategy if you're a conservative to run three people right now because they they're so disconnected from what people actually like that, you know, they put three different candidates, see which one people like and then go with that person, you know, because it's clear that like initially they had bet quite a bit on on bad bradford um he had the quickest campaign set up and it's been horrible you know yeah i was on everyone's website this morning and some some of them are just you can just tell they're not taking anything all that seriously like this is a huge race for canada's biggest city with a ginormous budget and none of these campaigns really have impressed me all that much. But back to Saunders, folks needed more reason to not vote for this man. Is He was on Ford's COVID response team, as well as being a special advisor on this whole revitalization of Ontario place, which we know is they've done them dirty. So this guy is on the inside for all the wrong reasons. And uh, yeah, I hope folks dismiss dismiss them but then again do you secretly hope that brad and mark draw some votes from anna because we're gonna get to her she's clearly the biggest threat to the city i don't know how much votes they're gonna draw if at the rate they're going i don't see saunders campaign getting any bigger than it is now i i, I honestly i think 
he's just deeply unpopular. Yeah, I think he, he has to read the room at this point. Ha- has he ever won an elected position? Cause... No, his first foray into politics was trying to challenge for Kathleen Wynne's seat. So obviously a liberal stronghold there, and he, he lost. But it looks like the PCs kept him under under their wing to a degree because they uh, gave them these special appointments afterwards. Yeah, it, it's, he's just he's not proven to be a likable person. I'm not worried about him. I don't um, think you're supposed to like the police chief. Like, look at Wiggum. Yeah, but, you know, like there are some police chiefs that at least have like some folksy charm that people might fall for. You know what I mean? I hope not. I know you didn't want to spend much time on Brad, but he's done something that's really pissed me off. So I wanted to make sure we talked about it. So forget Mark. No one's voting for Mark. Bad Bradford, 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 Bradford squared. We've got lots of names for him. But that fucker was partying with white supremacists and proudly boasting about it just the other day. You know, he's at the Horseshoe Tavern checking out. Oh, I'm not even going to mention the band's name, but real friends of Proud Boys, misogynistic band. And that's a dog whistle. You know what I mean? You know, when you're on a campaign, everything you do is going to be scrutinized. Everyone you pose at this point, everyone knows that whoever you pose with pictures with is going to be torn down. So this is very selective, you know, to stand with folks like this, send out those flares. And so that's why I was like, I don't know, like Brad, maybe not, maybe he's not the full right wing candidate, but he wants to be, he seems to be dog whistling at as many folks as he can while Anna is trying to play that middle road, right? So he seems to be relishing in this bad guy kind of persona. And Lord knows that gains traction these days when it comes to elections. But yeah, this guy is dirt. Uh, You take a look at his campaign. It's about bail compliance, about more cops. It's about keeping taxes below inflation, which is going to be impossible. Yeah, no, this guy is just... I think he's running for really wrong reasons. He knows he can't win. It's like he's building a career on being a far-right politician. And it really shows you, you know, the whole two-face message, how accurate it is, because he ran as a progressive last time when he was running for city council. You know, he was talking about defunding the police, and he he, he sounded like a progressive, you know? And then he, he gets in, he flops on that. He has no real convictions. He's an absolute opportunist. And he's not good at what he does, to be honest. I mean, he is just unlikable. Uh, he's not, like, his campaign from the beginning has been, has had the most production value. Let me put it that way. You know, he's had, like, well-produced videos, you know, all of, like, the things that, you know, you would imagine go into a campaign uh, in today's age when you have a professional team behind it. But he just has not been getting through to people at all. And I I don't know. I I feel kind of like he was the Tories' pick. Well, when he ran in 2018 for Beaches East York... He had a real eclectic array of endorsements. John Tory endorsed him. Anna Bailao endorsed him. Jennifer Keysmat endorsed him, along with some liberals. And, and it was a real kind of variety of folks there. And yeah, I think sometimes new politicians gain endorsements. He's an urban planner, so maybe Keysmat thought that would be a great idea. Either way, certainly turned out to be 
anything but progressive. What does it take to be an urban planner nowadays if Brad Bradford is technically an urban planner? I don't know. The way he, he couches it is I'm trained as. So I really, I don't have an answer for that, but I wanted to share this with you. We were making fun of his name in the, and we continued to do that more because we don't like him. He actually released an announcement and a little article on his website about how he got his name. So he's feeling quite defensive about all that. But the reality is about all the three stooges, the three far right candidates, you still want to talk about Brad? I I just want to say like one more thing about him, because when I was at City Hall on the day of the budget, um, he went in the in the short amount of time that John Tory was actually, you know, there. Brad Bradford was sitting beside him talking quite a bit. He was the person that John Tory had beside him that day. All right. And then also when everything was going down and, um, you know, they were kicking out um, the community members who were there to protest. Uh, I actually got shoved by Brad Bradford. Um, what? When I was, I remember mentioning this, but uh, when I, when I was filming people getting arrested as a member of the media, uh, all the counselors had left, but he stayed behind because I think he took a certain amount of pleasure in, he in, did in tell watching me that. that. Yeah. He was hollering too, wasn't he? I don't know that he was hollering, but he was uh, he was assisting the police. Let me put it that way. Oh, wow. Well. So. Yeah. Well, look at his his platform. That doesn't surprise anyone. And this was all no cameras behind. Like, this was just a genuine, authentic Brad Bradford moment. So just want to put out that little bit of his character right there. That's what kind of asshole he is. Anyways, we can move on from him. Have you ever had any run-ins with Anna Bailao? That's who we've got up next. I do not. She has been a counselor for a really long time. She's only 45 years old. She's been in there since 2010. And all of a sudden now is trying to paint herself as a progressive, which is really rich. Because I don't know if we have the exact number. What were you saying? Like high 90s, mid 90s. 96 or so. Voting record along with John Tory. Maybe even more than that. Sure. She's his deputy mayor. She was his deputy mayor. So I guess it's, it's not a surprise that she was closely aligned with him and frankly, a, a, a successful election by her would be a continuation, I think, of the Tory era, except even closer aligned with Ford Nation at this point. She is completely backed by Premier Ford, the developers that help get Ford to power and likely her. It'd be funny, we should have looked back to how many of her donations came directly from developers in that ACORN report we talked about I in one of our episodes. Just a second. Yeah, so like I said, she's got Nick Kuvalis working on our team, and I know like he's a political genius, and I get that from a lot of people, but as soon as she hired him, I, I thought it would be clear to folks that this is Ford Nation reincarnate. And one of the lines on her website had me particularly concerned, because if you go through her website, her housing plan sounds pretty good. Like, I don't trust her at all, but like if you were somebody sitting down and reading it, it's not bad. It's not terrible at all. And when she gets to the end, she says something there that only she would be able to secure money from the provincial and federal governments. And that's a strange thing to say, because one would ask, why? How, why why you? 
but you look at her endorsements and it seems like she's implying I am close with Ford. I'm the only way Toronto will get what they need because we we posed that question to Chloe when we had her on. You know, how are you going to go to Ford? How are you going to get funding? You are beholden to a province that is hostile to the people of Toronto. How are you going to be successful there? You know, and it's like Anna saying, because I'm chummy with them. This is your only choice. And I mean, that's a major selling point. It's awful, though. Absolutely awful to read. But one one would have trouble arguing with that, to be honest. I found the numbers. Uh, she was she took the fifth most uh, contributions from developers at 42 percent. Um, 42 percent of her campaign was completely funded by developers. Actually, technically, only 38 percent of Tory's campaign was he just had more money. So in terms of percentage, she's higher than Tory. She's higher than pretty much everyone on this list, actually. So um, she owes a great deal to these folks. But, but by the way, Brad Bradford took 41 percent. Yeah. No, like none of this surprises me. Like they that's why the only thing that does surprise me is that there's still three of them in the race that are friends of developers. I think in the end, we'll find out most people will take money from the developers in their campaigns, but maybe some of them will prove me wrong. No one seems to be bringing this up, and we always dig up dirt on folks, but I thought it'd be prudent to mention, you know, Anna Baila was arrested for a DUI. She pled guilty to a DUI in 2012 while she was a counselor. That didn't affect her at all. Two years into being a counselor, she gets a DUI, and she's golden. She gets reelected for another 10 years and now has a really strong mayoral campaign. I thought that was funny, just look at all the things that we seem to filter out in candidates. The right seems to be able to run anybody with any kind of record, and it doesn't seem to throw anybody off. So that's just a shout out for folks looking for real sanitized candidates down the road. I'm not sure it's all that necessary. She's also just as much as a, of a flip-flopper as Brad. Um, I was just looking on Twitter because I was uh, trying to look for a certain statistic, and what I did find was, you know, she's promising today that she's going to reverse cuts to the TTC to increase funding, yada, yada. In 2016, she voted uh, to cut TTC routes, and then she voted against the amendment to avoid cuts, right? So same typical bullshit where she has been part of the slow decline of the city, um, and now she's acting like she's the one to change things. And it's also like I, I also want to mention the frickin Ontario place things because that that was a really weird um, moment for me, like that how that whole thing played out, because apparently um, Ford has been planning that for like three years. He said the whole moving the the science center to Ontario place. And she just happens to, like, propose that as if it's her own idea. I, I don't really... F I, I mean, she's clearly in cahoots or something, but it was just... Oh, uh, clearly. Cle like, Nick Kuvalis is something else, people. Like, that's who's running her campaign. This man is tight with Ford Nation, and he is brutal in terms of mounting campaigns. And... There is no doubt in my mind there is collusion. And it's not like something illegal. This is just because there's not technically a party system in the Toronto elections. We know that all the parties have a horse in the race and are going to do whatever it takes to get them there. 
So I don't doubt that she was thrown a crumb there. You know, not only can you propose this move of Ontario, uh, Science Centre to Ontario Place, but it's credible. Ford Nation, I'll be able to saddle around behind you and confirm that, in fact, you have the means to do that, you know, and we will we will back you up. So she already looks like she's working with Ford, right? And then she reiterates this on her webpage and in her communications that she is Ford's choice. You know, she's already kind of playing that role with him. And that's super troubling. Like the two-faced nature of some of these counselors that are running and have been in there for years and years and years. How do you get those voting records up and right next to those platforms? Because out of all those, the, the right-wing candidates, her platform is well-crafted in that it does make her appear somewhat progressive. She uses very careful language, but not enough that she's still not going to appeal to the right people. And, and all she has to do is say she's Ford's choice. And just like Olivia, she doesn't even need a platform all of a sudden. She also has some liberal MPs on her campaign helping out, right? Like, so she's not just Ford's choice, but she's also right uh, alongside the liberals, which, I mean, we know that there's no difference between them. I think that really, like the, the false... Um, the false difference between liberal and conservatives, I think, is really exposed when it comes to municipal elections a lot of the time because you see that, you know, both parties are backing in absence of the need for, you know, actual party politics. Both parties back the same people. Yeah. Uh, also, just wanted to mention real quick, because I don't think we mentioned it for um, Brad Bradford, that Ontario Proud is running his campaign, which is also did, did we mention that? No, but that's the same. We mentioned that, like, he's proudly going out with these bands that stand with him. It's all the same crew, you know, like, and he's just boasting about it. It's part of his campaign. So it's terrifying. But but that means also, I know developers said that they were going to be a little more careful about who they donate to because they got slammed for really funding Ontario Proud. But there's no doubt in my mind they still play a big role there. But Anna Bailao is, is I think, the biggest threat. By far just she's polling very well she has a very crisp campaign and she's got these insiders that are just helping her out and it you know the fact that she is able to say and no one else at this point can to my knowledge that she has unions backing her and I know I know we know Layuna and uh what is that 187 or I might be getting these wrong but the construction unions that notoriously always back Doug Ford and Ford Nation and all their cronies there have backed Anna Bailao. Their membership is launching a grassroots campaign because the membership were not consulted. How they would vote on that, I'm not even sure. QP79 is one of them. Q, um, and they, they've, yeah, they've launched a, a petition to rescind their endorsement, the rack and file members of QP79. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's something else. They're not a construction union. I believe those are the indoor, are they the outdoor workers for the city of Toronto? That is a surprising union to be backing her. So It says 20,000 working people who care, teach, mentor, guide, and watch over Toronto. So yeah, not entirely sure Yeah, those are city sure of Toronto workers. And that that's shocking. I mean, that speaks more, I think, to the structure of some unions that are they're able to announce endorsements without seeking approval from 
either a council or their full membership. But uh, that's what makes her so dangerous, right? She can put this messaging with, and no one's going to understand the nuances behind it. No one's going to maybe take the effort to look up their voting records, the policies they've proposed, or the fact that 20% of purpose-built rentals isn't enough. But she's worked that language into her campaign, right? The same language being used on what we consider the more progressive campaigns, which we're now going to, you know, we should get to. Yeah. Um, I mean, but just right before we move on, it's when it comes to um, Anna, she actually, I feel like she has this certain something that Trudeau has that like those good politicians and when I say good politicians I mean good at being politicians in like knowing how to like play a crowd knowing how to like come across in like this like you, you know like that certain just character to them she has that thing that scares me because I know that she she just projects safe vote for a lot of people you know a lot of people are going to look at her and think safe vote and it allows people to also kind of like think that oh she's going to be better than tory you know i think a lot of people are going to think that in the city she's not she's literally the same as tory but people are going to think that she's better and so she is genuinely a threat and she genuinely might be the next mayor and that is awful and it's yeah. that careful line because folks would like to distance themselves from Tory, but Tory won his last election. He didn't lose. That means he still has an incredible amount of support for the, his kind of policies and his kind of politicking in the city of Toronto. So, yeah, Anna is kind of walking that fine line where she's letting it be known that she was certainly close to Tory. And if you wanted Tory, I'm your next best bet, but including enough policies and language and you know this kind of really polished campaign that allows her to to appeal to centrists and middle of the road voters i don't know why anybody would be scared away from olivia chow though you know what i mean like even these middle of the road folks anyway we're gonna get we're we're gonna bookend like we're gonna end with olivia just because she was the last in the race and we probably have a lot to say about her but there's two other campaigns that Folks are going to argue amongst themselves on whether they're progressive or not. Josh Matlow and Chloe Brown. Now, we had Chloe Brown in the studio just yesterday. That that interview will air a little bit later. So we feel like we know we're a little bit better. Josh, Santiago is convinced he knows Josh Matlow, right? Like, he's got a read on this guy. So I want to go to, to Santiago first. You were kind of raked over the coals a little bit for... A, your comments on Josh Matlow. It was a different time. It was a different time. And I think you were treated a little unfairly. Well, Um, well, even I mocked you a little bit, but where you, where you stand now on Josh? Well, what I was saying at the time, and this was when Olivia Chow, when I thought she was not going to be in the race, that Josh Matlow is probably the one out of the people who might win. That would be the least destructive. That's still a little bit true. But, I mean, he's had a solid campaign. He's saying a lot of the right stuff, whether or not that stuff is directly plagiarized from uh, Guillermo Peñalosa's campaign is 
I hate that that that's that's out there. But you know, he is he is saying the right things. He's still a political outsider in the sense that he he doesn't have the backing of anybody. You know, he's kind of doing this whole thing on his own and being kind of successful at, at it. He's still polling really high even after Olivia Chow entered the race. I mean, he's in third, um, only a couple of points behind uh, Anna. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, I honestly think that there's a chance that he might drop out and endorse Olivia Chow. I think that that would probably be one of the better things that could happen i mean that's what peñalosa did shout out to somebody who is not that's right i forgot about that yeah shout out to someone who's not even in the in, in the race anymore i actually interviewed him um the the very weekend when he announced that he was running again and and he told me because because when i interviewed him actually last time, you were his first interview yeah when i interviewed him last time he ran for mayor he told me if he loses he's not running again now he was running again and he told me um you know, well, circumstances changed, but if there's somebody that uh, I think would do a better job than me, I'm out of here. Uh, and immediately after Olivia Chow announced her campaign, he dropped out. So I just want to give a little shout out to him for actually being honest to his word, which is kind of rare. Doesn't happen in politics. You know what I didn't <laughs> like about that moment, though? And I, I don't want to because you're right. It was good on Gil to do that. There's no sense in running to make a name for yourself if the person... There's another person that has a better campaign behind them, more experience, and will advocate for the same policies and more, you know? Certainly, Olivia's more capable than Gil. But he kind of confused his followers that morning. You know, he was like, hey, I'm going to go out with Christian Wong Tam. We're going to hit Toronto City Hall. We Nothing like I have an announcement. It was like he was campaigning. So Twitter went in a frenzy. What do you mean? Kristen Wong Tam's already said she supports Olivia. How could she be Gil? It was like NDP drama, right? Like, how could you do that? And then it turns out that Kristen Wong Tam was playing Kingmaker and kind of announced Gil's dropping out and, you know, made it all a kind of an NDP thing. I wouldn't have had that done if I were Olivia or Gil. I would keep the NDP as far out of my campaign as possible. I understand that they're flooding volunteers their way, whatever that involvement is. But Ontario right now is not all that pleased with the NDP. The people of Toronto don't have a good track record with them either. And, you know, we, we know what the realities are, but you don't see Ford out there actually with his candidate of choice. I think that was just a, it's a little too much. They overplayed their hand there a little bit. But Josh you know, Josh, he, you know, I'm digging up a little bit on these folks. It's not dirt. Well, kind of. He ran for the Liberals in 2002. He lost against Ernie Eves. So we'll, we'll cut him some slack there because, like, that would have had a massive campaign behind him. But he's been in politics for a really long time. Former environmental advocate. He's done journalism, Santiago. <laughs> he's been a school trustee, as has Olivia. So this is what you call at this point a career politician. I don't like career politicians. And I think anybody that's kind of been in there all this long better have this huge track record behind them of going against the wall over and over again, trying to get whatever they've got on their platform into council. And if they don't, fuck them. He you is, had your shot. He is a descending vote. 
that that's like, not enough that's yeah. not enough you like you know what i'm talking about like people are dying no, yeah. on the street if you're an advocate for against homelessness you have gone to war in toronto council and we know about it there's no doubt in our mind that we've had a warrior in the council who's done what they need to do even though they were outnumbered but they still went in there and they there's nobody there that fits that bill so no. i i'm p- completely behind the folks of toronto who are saying if you've if you've been on that ballot before, if you've run, if you've been a counselor, I'm not even considering you. You've had your shot because there's, I know there's strong mayor powers now, but there's still evidence in what you've done with your time. And, you know, I guess we're a little bit picky, right? Like, has anybody done any real community organizing as a counselor that's left in there? Not really. It, it's a sad state of affairs when, you know, we're trying to pick the lesser evil we we do that a lot but i, I guess my, my take on, on on josh and the reason that i kind of am a little defensive of the guy is i, I do think he's he's not an, a force of evil you know i think he's i think he he's not the most he's definitely not radical right let's just start right there no he I calls th- himself a pragmatic progressive yeah that's his title but but i don't think like i don't think he's benefiting from anything i think he's kind of a naive guy who went into politics because he maybe wanted to do things a little bit better didn't really learn too much along the way and is just kind of trying to like do his best out here and it's like you know i i don't think he has like malicious intent which is like part of the reason why it's like okay well you know i know so like I, I can't get too mad at him, and it's like, I know that he wouldn't actively be plotting behind our backs too much. But yeah, no, he's he, he he's not a warrior. Too much. <laughs> I know, we can't say that about any politician definitively, right? Like, you say it, and then it just doesn't sound right. You're like, well, at least too not much. all the time. <laughs> you know, and, and we'll just have to be happy with that. But, but. but I, that, that that's really where I'm coming from with, with this guy, is more that, you know, I, I don't I don't hate him. He doesn't make me angry. I think a lot Are of people... Are you going to people... vote for him? No. Not no, at this I... point. But I think I think it's one thing I see a lot of people kind of share where it's just like, you know, Josh Matlow speaks and I don't get angry. And it's like... And that's a rare thing. It's in... so refreshing. Yeah. that That's really what it is with this guy. It's just like he doesn't actively piss me off every time he opens his mouth. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to give him too much shit. He's not great. But he was polling well, you know, he was polling for a second. Now he's in third. Olivia's in the race. He's not as relevant anymore. I can only imagine both Josh and Chloe's reaction when Olivia entered the race. Like both of them, like, you know, Chloe tried to play it cool. I'm sure Josh would, you know, downplay it if you asked him on the record. But that had to have been a big, oh, shit moment, you know, (laughs) like I can pretend to be super progressive or like I'm really their only option, you know, like, of course, I got this. And, you know, same with Chloe, you know, she presented like as a bit of the progressive option. We'll we'll get into her campaign in a second, but that must have been a real bomb. I can only imagine campaign managers having to completely shift their campaigns to a degree. Or maybe you've got Matt Lowe's considering dropping out. I can't say I've seen their campaign ramp up since she's come in. And that's what you would expect. Right. When a real contestant comes in that threatens your vote share, you would think you'd up your game a little bit. I've only seen that from Chloe. Right. Um, Trying to present as a as an alternate option there for progressives. Josh seems to be a little bit of of, a coasting at this point, but that kind of fits your description of him just kind of wanting to do good. And, 
you know, not really being a, a warrior. Because that's really what you need, both in this race and for the city of Toronto at this point, right? You'll be going up against a premier that just keeps wanting to offload more costs to you without giving you any more money. And a federal government that has no time for the cities, right? They, they, they don't think they play a big role and the amount of funding that they dole out is, is minimal at best. So, yeah, you need somebody that's willing to go to the wall. Chloe. We talked to Chloe. You talked to her. It sounds like she is willing to go to the wall. But, you know, spoiler alert, I ask her, you know, how would you then go up against Premier Ford? And what, I'll tell you what I wanted her answer to be, right? Because she had talked about taking to the streets as a necessity to change. The politicians were generally corrupt and not worth going to hat in hand. And I wanted her answer to be that. Be like, I would be fierce. I would stop business. I would use some sort of leverage as mayor to let the premier know we mean business. We will withdraw whatever we need to to make it work. Like, I don't know what those are, but hopefully someone running for mayor has those ideas, have worked out those solutions. Her answer disappointed me, right? It was, I'll have a better business plan than anyone has ever had. And they would be silly to not give me the money for the programs that I'm suggesting. A bit of a naivety there. I feel bad saying that because I was excited she did come on the show. And, um, But there are systems at play. Austerity measures that need to be maintained. And it's not simply going with a good business plan to get progressive policies in the city of Toronto, right? But she did have that fire, right? Like her campaign does have that kind of community feel. It's... It feels like a grassroots campaign, which I am looking for, right? That's why we called her into the studio. It really was the only campaign that was grassroots. Olivia's is shaping up that way, but she was not in the game as of yet. And really still isn't. There's no platform. What were your what are your impressions of Chloe? Yeah, I, I think you summed it up uh, for know. me quite a lot. I, I, I am uh, that that's me being cautious, saying that in the sense that like I I my instinct on this is I really don't want to be too harsh um, because also, like, I, I think her heart's in the right place. I think, you know, she she's running uh, as good of a campaign as really she can in the position where she is. I think it's the kind of thing that needs to happen. You need those community voices. I think she represents a community that isn't being represented, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think there's just very crucial elements that are missing um and and that's okay you know like it, it doesn't have to be that every campaign is perfect and flawless because you know I, I don't really think she has expectations that she's going to win right no she's realistic in that and i would say she does take her campaign seriously though she does and, and it's, she is, it is on a mission to to get that narrative out there to have discussions, you know. Give she the candidates as, some shit. Yeah, like she's fiery, right? She knows that it, the city's been run into the ground by politicians for years. She's been on the front lines there, you know. She's worked at city hall. She's a policy wonk, which I love. That all us nerds, us leftist nerds, love policy wonks, right? She writes policy as her job. Is that enough? No, it's not going to be enough to win this race. But I'm still impressed with her campaign. You know, the way that 
they're crafting. She's working joy into her campaign. She mentioned concerts. She mentioned, you know, creating these third spaces that we crave so much rather than just kind of going to what was already there and doing your kind of typical stumping. She's got a completely different approach to her campaign. I'd say her intuition is just solid with those kinds of things. I think that she she has like cuz she I don't think she's she, she's trained or is very familiar with a lot of you know like the theories behind this all, but I think she just finds the right answer to a lot of things like that. You know, I think she she has a a feeling for what is important. And and I honestly like she's very young, you know. I think that regardless of what happens here, there's a like she she could do some really cool stuff in the future, you know? I think that there's a lot of potential for her to do a lot of really good stuff. Yeah, I think even she would admit she'd be lost. Not lost as in she wouldn't know what to do in Mare, but the skills that she has and that mission that she seems to have would would be dampened, would be lost a little bit. Because you'll hear in the interview that we do with her, she's got big ideas, not just the city of Toronto. And I think when you talk about her intuition... That speaks to that conversation that we had earlier. I don't know if it's recorded or not, but where we know what's best, like we don't always define it as something very political, but if you take people and show them dire situations, they want out of them. They don't want people living in them. They they understand that better solutions are possible. And a lot of people can even envision better solutions without wrapping themselves up in political theory. But if you're going up against systems of oppression and you're running major campaigns, there's this level of politicking that unfortunately is involved. And we we want partisans out of politics. We talk about this all the time, but it for some reason it didn't sit good with me. It didn't that she didn't define herself as being even political. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people have partisanship and politics mixed up. They hate politics. They mean they hate partisanship. Mm -hmm. When they say they're not political, it means they don't support any of the parties because everything you do and think is political, right? But either way, we definitely wanted to mention Chloe's campaign, not only because she took the time to come on the interview, but because she has drawn a lot of grassroots organizers, socialists, progressives, and, and others to her campaign. And when she ran last time round, she did come third with a pretty, pretty small margin, um, vote share, right? What did she say? It cost her 20 cents a 20 vote. 20 cents, yeah. Like, that's got to be some sort of record. Well, mind you, I think one of my federal campaigns, we had, like, zero budget. We were broke. So we just reused everything from our last campaign and didn't pay anyone a dime. So you can't do a lot with nothing, folks. <laughs> but... We'd be remiss if we didn't land on Olivia at this point because the last time we talked, Olivia wasn't in the race. I said originally, Olivia won't run. I said that too. Yeah, and I thought she was happy where she was. It was kind of late in the game. But she announced, uh, I think like April 17th, Olivia has... I don't want to start off with my negative critique, Santiago, so I'm going to start off with some, some facts. For folks who are maybe of the younger generation, like Olivia Chow was a city councilor for, for some time. In my writing, she, actually. 
in your writing. And she was, this was 1991. Were you born? No. Okay. (laughs) Well, I clearly remember her because I'm old. We go through this every episode. But she was a real advocate. And I'm going to tell a little Olivia story. I hope I haven't shared before, but maybe I have. Who cares? Raves. When I was younger, that was my escape. I danced all night into the morning every weekend to the loudest music you could possibly imagine. And that's where my community thrived. Well, adults did not like this. Adults still probably do not like the idea of raves. I'm not going to get into the politics of that, but the city of Toronto was trying to make raves illegal. And like most things that we make illegal, all it does is drive it underground. So this would have made it more unsafe. We were already at warehouses sometimes that didn't have running water, that sometimes had no heat or, you know, like that were fire traps already, right? Because people were trying to save a buck. And it was very rare at this point for it to be in a nightclub or something like the docks or, you know, one of the bigger venues. And to do this would have made it even more dangerous. So... I don't know who organized it back then. I was just too young to know, but a big, huge dance party right in in Nathan Phillips Square in front of Toronto City Hall. I Dance, I think it was called. And it was a rave. I mean, the lights, the smoke, the music, the joints, the dancing. And it was, but it was a protest. And it was happening at the same time the city of Toronto was going to vote on this matter. And Olivia, during a break, came down, got on stage, spoke to us, spoke to the organizers, promised us not a victory, but that she would take what we had said back upstairs. Nobody had talked to us like that before. That was such an unpopular thing for her to do, right? We weren't voters, most of us. We were like 15, 16, 17-year-olds for the most part, right? Like the promoters are a different deal, but like for the most, she's looking at a sea of people that cannot vote for her probably can't afford to donate to her campaign. And she did. She went upstairs. The vote went in our favor. Raves were more uh, regulated so that they actually became safer. And I don't know if that was her victory that she secured up there in City Hall. I, I didn't see it. But it was her talking to us like that. Like, we mattered, right? Like, that our mission to save raves, which on the grand scheme of, like, world injustices and issues within the city. It's not that big. But she took time to like make sure we knew how politics work. It wasn't just we're going to take, she's like, okay, this is what's going on upstairs. This is what we're going to do. This is then we vote. And, you know, she explained it all to us. So it wasn't this abstract thing that we weren't involved in. She almost gave us credit. You're here. I heard you. I'm going to take it upstairs. And from then on, I understood the power of activism. From that very small moment, right? It wasn't just yelling at someone. They came and they spoke to us. I have huge admiration for Olivia Chow. Huge. I just hate that she's still aligned with the NDP. I think that's a detriment to her campaign and possibly her rule as mayor. I don't know. I hope she proves me wrong, right? I hope my trepidation there and she's more powerful um, than the persuaders at the Ontario NDP who've screwed up every campaign they've run for generations. But I don't know. How are you feeling about Olivia coming into this race? Relieved? <sighs> mixed, mixed. I mean, yeah, she's obviously the best option, right? And I think that, like, if anybody can 
successfully from the inside stand up to the NDP. I think it's probably her. Um, you know, I think that she can get away with more than a lot of people can get away with, you know. Um, I, I do genuinely think that she has a very solid chance. It's, it's a little mixed to see. It's funny because, you know, all, 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 everyone who's running has been involved in Toronto politics for quite a long time, right? But for some reason, I'm seeing a, a particular amount of messaging around her saying, oh, she had her chance and, you know, she's uh, been there and didn't fix anything. And it's like, excuse me? She did. She did. She actually put forth proposals and we have... Uh, children's food programs, some dental programs that she can definitely take yeah. to her credit from her time it, on Toronto exactly. Council. Exactly. It's, it's quite a ridiculous thing because it's like all of these assholes were voting in line with Tory this entire time. They've all been there. You know, Belio was deputy mayor. Uh, Brad Bradford, as much of an insider as it gets, Saunders, you know, was the police chief. And, you know, like they're all connected. And I don't know why this double standard um, for Olivia Chow, but, um, you know, you worry like it's funny because hypocrisy doesn't matter sometimes. So, like, you're already starting to see the campaign against her start to develop. Um, obviously, Anna Belayo has focused her her target on, on Olivia Chow. And it, I have to see how effective. Rightly so. Right. That's her main opponent. We, we, we see this as a two horse race. Yeah. In the end. So it'll be interesting to see, you know. People dropping out, endorsements, what goes which way. And, like, Olivia, like, she does know, like, so in recent times, like, she's been doing her whole Institute for for Change Leaders thing, you know. She's been quite involved in, in, in that, and she knows better than the same bullshit that the NDP does that always loses elections. So hopefully, you know, she has some of the right people on her campaign. And I know she does. And for folks who don't know what ICL is or Institute for Change Leaders, you can go back to our episode, Reimagining Leadership. We have on Duncan Pike, but it is an organization that literally train. Well, you know, I think their tagline is they're they're creating the next generation of leaders. And they really do teach uh Deep campaigning, you know, how to have meaningful conversations with voters, how to tell your story in an effective way, you know, to get what you want, you know, uh, the change that you want. So if she can apply any of that, and I'm sure her team has built up uh, Progress Toronto and and all kinds of, of folks. But with all of those people working on her campaign and all of her experience that she has... The fact that there is no platform up on her website is disrespectful to voters. And we know why that is. Like, I, it, she clearly was not going to run, I think, is is what that says. You know, like, we, we didn't think she was going to run. I don't think she thought she was going to run. I think she, she was leading the polls and she had a lot of pressure on her that, like, you got to do this. You got to do this, you know? Yeah. You have to. You, and you know what that's like, you know, if anyone... But how long does it take, right? She delayed her announcement by two weeks saying she had to clean up from her job. But that's absolute garbage. That two weeks was definitely spent preparing for the campaign. Anybody would be foolish not to do that, use that time. And it's been 
three weeks since she's announced. She's surrounded by activists within the city of Toronto who have intimate knowledge of exactly what the city needs. She lives in the city of Toronto. She's been a city councillor. The city deserves somebody that knows, that has a vision, right? And the longer they take to announce details of their platform, the less likely I am to support that campaign because I don't think anybody is allowed to run on name recognition. That isn't fair. That's not going to engage voters. That's what turns people away completely. There's nothing meaningful in her campaign so far, right? Like Chloe has all of these ideas out there busting her ass telling these ideas and she's standing next to people who are just saying their name and their previous experiences that's not fair that's not fair i mean i looked at her housing plan that she there is a housing announcement on there but her website looks crisp she's got good people on her team there is three announcements in her three-week campaign one is i'm running for mayor the other one is when she's out down in flemington talking with renters there and kind of hyping around the Science Center move. And then the third one is her housing announcement. That's not enough. And there's no way. I have a feeling we're not going to get a full platform. We have seen this before. We've seen this tactic before where you're polling high now. Maybe you don't need one. Maybe you don't need to make promises to voters that you can't keep. Because even in some of the ideas that she has in her housing plan, she uses language like, I will explore. You have strong mayor powers. You don't need to explore much at this point, right? She's talking about the right of refusal. I'm going to share a bit of her housing plan because it's, it it's, it's good. Like, it's decent. It doesn't have a whole lot of details, but apparently they are, they are coming in. She breaks it down to three things, and it, it kind of makes sense. Secure more homes, right? So, like, she's got a promise for $100 million and then some to help create community land trusts. So buy private rentals, put them into nonprofit hands, indigenous housing groups, nonprofit groups, whatever, other existing tenant groups. Her second part of the plan is to keep renters where they are. So folks that already have homes, so it's a really... Um, anti-eviction plan, an increase to the rent bank that Acorn Canada was talking about on our earlier show and other means that just to help folks organize against bad landlords and stop them from getting evicted from where they already are. And then her third idea is something I like and I haven't seen anybody else propose is a Toronto Renters Action Committee. She actually wants to create right a bit of a tenants union inside the framework of Toronto Council to a degree to have them create laws around renting and evictions and all the issues that affect them there. Great plan. You see how that, see how you can do that? We need her to do that for transportation and all the other things now. Like there's no more it's waiting. It's not that hard either. Because this it isn't that hard and I was talking to you yesterday on the phone and we're talking about how many campaigns like we've been in. And I've thrown some campaigns together really last minute. Right. Like when we ran for president of the NDP, that wasn't our plan. We did not plan all year. It was literally like, who's going to do it because no one's doing it. Right. Same with Chloe going like, OK, like John Tory said he wouldn't run again. Why didn't you all run against him when he ran again? Why would you let him run that third time? You know, why didn't you run then? Why is Josh running now? Not then. 
you know, when he should have wanted to go up against the Giants. But because we were so fully involved with the party, with the issues, with the people impacted, that it was really easy to put together a platform because they were ideas we were already shouting about, right? So I wanted an activist in the city to run for mayor, someone who's already been chirping with really good ideas. They're on record having championed for this for a long time. And Olivia's absence doesn't negate it, but the longer she goes without telling us what her vision with for Toronto is, makes her seem disconnected. Right? Like you've been you've been living in the city this entire time. Have you not been paying attention close enough? Or do you not have a team around you that has enough ideas that you can get this on paper? Or are you so carefully couching that language? Mm. Right. I don't know. But the longer it is, the more upset I get and the less likely I would suggest to people to support her because I just don't think that that's the right way to run campaigns. But a lot of people have no problem with it. Like I even you said to me and someone on Twitter, like you guys aren't alone. We know Olivia. And I gave you an intimate story when we started talking about her. I've been to her house for dinner as a as a candidate for the NDP. I know a lot more about her and how she works than anybody else. And I do believe if she won mayor that she would work with people and she would be more movable, even if you didn't like her policies. Right. But that doesn't excuse not getting your website up with. There's been no announcements on her website for like two weeks. I think we had to clarify, like we're holding her to a higher standard than we're holding everyone else because she knows better. Because she is a veteran. And she's that front yeah. runner. Like she is an experienced veteran who has been in this game for a long time. She knows how this goes. She knows the game. And that's why like there's a bit of harshness coming off here. Because like she's she has a genuine shot here. She cannot fuck this up. You know? Like if if uh, it's her race to lose at this point, and if she loses, that is a tragedy. And we've already been through that. We've like uh, Toronto's already been through that before with her. You know what I mean? We we do not want to go through that again. She has to like really do a good job, secure this win. It's there for the taking. Like the city, like right now. Let, let's like just be absolutely clear. Like, like I'm, I'm right. I'm in downtown Toronto right now. Like I, this, like I know Toronto. Like we're not happy here. Things are in bad conditions. People are suffering. It is the perfect up. Like it is a different story than when she ran last time. Things are worse than they were back then. If if she cannot win right now, that is a failure. It is there for the taking. She needs to pull this off. And that's like, there's a frustration. Like, I think that there's like a bit of a, a frustration that I, I even haven't been expressing that comes from just like having been let down too many times in similar situations and just really needing this to work out. And like, to be clear, the answer is not electoral politics. There's a lot of work that's going to have to be done. And for goodness sakes, if she wins, that doesn't mean we get the, the four years off and we get to take a break and take it easy. No, we have to do so much more work because now we actually might be successful about things if we organize. But we're still going to have to organize. We're still going to have to be fighting. But just the point is that like within electoral politics, this is as good as it gets in Toronto uh, at right now. Like This is as good as it's going to get. This needs to happen. This needs to work, you know?
that is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.